People of Earth, if you can hear my voice, you have arrived at another episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope. I am your host, Brent Pope, and I am so excited because my guest today is Dog Davis, and he is possibly the most interesting dude in the world. During a 36-year career in entertainment, Dog has been a freelance journalist, a union laborer at a major film studio, game show winner, competitive eater, poker player, minor league basketball player, film school graduate, production assistant, script creator, movie extra, theater manager, and as if that wasn't enough, my man is a historian with vast knowledge of Hollywood and its restaurants and a cocktail expert. And we also had breakfast from a Los Angeles stable, The Griddle Cafe, which is now existing at a surprising new location, and we will talk all about that. So, I'll have a Negroni, anything with tequila and muddled jalapenos, and a whiskey sour, and don't skimp on the egg whites, because we have legendary man about town, Dog Davis, today on Breakfast. Pick it up! Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Breakfast. This young lady just smashed the lids on all these cakes in the bakery section. I could go on a Hallmark card. <laughs> My uh, guest today. Oh, I'm going to need to hear all about that. I didn't need any extra sausage. Yeah, it's character to my crew. <laughs> Is a goat pit a real thing? What? Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Great place to hang out and good food, too. I'm always playing blue-collar guys. Let me screw through the pipe. I wouldn't jump up and down until we stabilize the hydraulics. I love a crawler. All yeah. my uncles got the gout. Jalapeno slash cheddar waffles. Who doesn't love that? It's breakfast time. Breakfast. The only show where bacon, pancakes, Hollywood. I'm your host, Brent Pope. Thank you very much, Brent Pope. Dog Davis, welcome to the Breakfast Studio. I love it. This is very exciting. We've known each other for a while. We met, I believe, playing poker at Garner Knudsen's game. Yeah, the uh, the GK Binions. It was the yeah. best uh, home poker game west of the it, 405. It was a great game. Garner is like now, I guess, even though he doesn't seem old enough to be retired, he's like kind of retired and... And aren't they, like, moving around in a camper or something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah, Tra- traveling the, the roads. Yeah, well, anyway, Garner, Krista, if you're listening, maybe start a traveling poker game so we can play it <laughs> Anyway, we started in that game. You grew up in Texas. Yes. How was that? I'm a sixth-generation Texan. The three celebrities that went to my high school are Shelley Duvall, Patrick Swayze, and The Undertaker. Wow. The, the, the wrestling undertaker. My mom was a driver ed teacher there. I think my mom taught the undertaker driver's education. Wow. It, we, also, we, we, we also had a, a beauty pageant, Miss America, from our high school. But uh, Deborah Sue Maffitt, I believe her name was, but she, she didn't win Miss Texas. She had to get a nose job and move to California, so she, she gets a Texas demerit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Where did you grow up in Texas? I mean, I was grew up in Houston. Went to film school at the University of Texas. Okay. A few years before Robert Rodriguez, Hook'em uh, Horns did that. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. We, we I, I do that sometimes. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to, you know, people from Texas who moved out here to to make a name for themselves, you know, I I paved the way for Matthew McConaughey and yeah. Owen Wilson and right. Renee Zellweger, whether they know it or not. I remember you a lot saying, all right, all right, all right, before that movie <laughs> came out, and you are going, wow, you know, like those type of deals. They s- stolen from Dog Davis. Oh, yeah. Completely sure. stolen. <laughs> well, when you're growing up, what was your, uh, you know, was there a thing that you wanted to do creatively? I mean, I, I you know, was the co-editor of my high school paper, but and writing was the, the thing. I mean, I came out here to be a writer, but I started out, my first jobs were in Texas. Uh, the first thing I worked on, I was the office production assistant on True Stories by David Byrne of the Talking Heads. Oh, wow. Uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, John Goodman was in it. A little, 
Uh, Spalding Gray was in it. What was that show? What was it about? It, it was. It's basically uh, our town, except it's a wacky town. It's yeah. you know the tabloid paper stuff. Uh, my favorite experience from it was uh, I got to pick Swoozy Kurtz up from the hotel and take her to the airport, and we went along the motorcade route and reenacted the Kennedy assassination. Oh, wow. That's, uh, <laughs> wait, who did you get to play in the assassination? Uh, well, I, I mean, you know, you, you grab the back of your head. Okay, gotcha. But I, I, yeah, gotcha. I was driving the car, so I, I really, we couldn't do that much. But it nice. was still fun to spend, you know, a, a time with Swoozy Kurtz, that, you know, right, when you're 23 years old. But, and it was really lax. Cool. I got to pick a Jonathan Demi up at the airport and spend a day with him where he grilled me on Texas music. and yeah. Well, that's cool. So if you're working on a show, uh, kind of, uh, was it produced or created by David Byrne? Uh, I think it was his idea. It okay. was uh, written by some other people, Beth gotcha. Finley. And... So were all the episodes different, or were they all the same as it ever was? It, it was a... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, th- th- there was an album he, uh, Talking Heads did called True Stories, and yeah. th- this was basically a film version of the album, except... Instead of David Byrne doing all the vocals, he's got Pop Staples singing a song, and he's got uh, you know other actors singing the songs and reenacting them. So it's like a bunch of you know ten music videos, yeah. with a connecting storyline. Oh, that's interesting. I think the are the Dixie Chicks. They're from Texas, right? Uh, yes. So I met I one of my I don't know if you know this. When I was first moved to LA, one of my first jobs was I was a temp. I was the receptionist at the Academy of Country Music. And that was one of the first groups I met at the ACM Wars was the Dixie Chicks. Who are, who are the other big uh, acts from Texas? Do you ever meet any of the other big uh, music acts from Texas? Uh, I once smoked weed with Willie Nelson. <laughs> what? Uh, How did this happen? I was working on some commercials in Austin, uh, some bank commercials, and working for the art director. And the art director knew Willie Nelson, and he knew that Willie had a horse trough on his ranch that we could use in the commercial. So we go to Willie's ranch, go past the security guard, and there's Willie, and he, he's sitting there at his desk, and he, he's smoking some pot. I'm not, not talking out of school here. I think right. we all know I this. I think we all know I, he smokes yeah, pot. Probably, yeah. <laughs> probably one out of every three Texans has the I smoked pot with Willie Nelson story. But really? uh, I think so. You know, you, we could fill a couple of stadiums for sure. <laughs> but... Uh, but anyhow, the art director introduces me to Willie, and, and uh, you know, we shake hands, and they're smoking pot, and you know, the, the joint comes to me, and I don't smoke that much. I, I you know, once a year to get my annual dose of paranoia. Uh, but you know, we we have a, a couple of hits, and then I just kind of go off to the side, you know, because Willie and and the art director are talking. But what impressed me was a few minutes later. Willie's daughter, I believe it was, came in to talk about the upcoming tour or whatever okay. it was. And at the time, I wasn't going by dog. I was using my my real name, which is kind of familiar and not very memorable. Yeah. But Willie introduced me to his daughter by name. He had taken the time to remember the name. And I thought that was doubly impressive because that shit we were smoking was so strong. Yeah. You know, I was... It left an impression. Interesting. Do you think Willie Nelson, if he still smokes pot, and I'm assuming he still smokes pot, do you think he gets the stuff that's like really engineered to be really, I don't know, I, I don't smoke weed myself. Right. But I know there's different strains. Some of them can be very smooth. Some of them be very powerful. What do you think his type that he, because he can get any kind he wants now, right? right. What do you think his choice would be? 
one thing I remember from that day was that we were talking and I heard a little noise behind me and I turned around and it looked like a, a small Christmas tree that had been stuffed in a trash bag had fallen off the couch. But it, it wasn't a Christmas tree. Yeah. It was just a big, big tree of marijuana. Really? <laughs> wow. Do so you think he still makes it himself? Or... Uh, yeah, I, I, I would guess. I guess, he, I guess he has enough money he could like have somebody engineer whatever he wants. I, right? I'm sure he doesn't have to pay for it. Wow. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I mean, that totally make this is all on brand for Willie Nelson, yeah. who you know also is a brilliant musician in a, in addition to you know uh, being known for smoking yeah. a lot of weed. Yeah. I, I saw him play a couple of years ago at Casino Morongo. Okay. And I was like the youngest person in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> at Casino yeah. Morongo, and I remember when I was leaving, there was a couple ahead of me that was like, "I love the show, but why did he go on so late? Nine thirty, you know." <laughs> I felt I felt that way like I was the youngest guy called times. I went to the see the Beach Boys probably 15 years ago and I think I was the youngest person even though I love the Beach Boys. I right. I'm not ashamed to say that. I think they're brilliant. Uh they're much better with Brian Wilson, obviously. Sure. And also god who did I see? Oh, Gordon Lightfoot at the Saban. <laughs> I love Gordon Lightfoot too. My dad loved Gordon Lightfoot. I've just always kind of loved his voice, very folksy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a funny show because I swear there was no one else there under 60 <laughs> at that concert. And they also, you know, uh, I'm sitting there going like, gosh, I think I just listened to his greatest hits because there's people yelling songs that I had never. It's like, Canadian Railroad Trilogy. Like they were really <laughs> mad that he wouldn't play that song. <laughs> and they're like, dang it, he played it last time, the Canadian Railroad Trilogy. Anyway, it is an interesting thing to go somewhere and, and admire an artist and also feel totally out of place with everyone around right. you, right? Right. <laughs> I think I saw them with Stamos, too, the, the Beach Boys playing drums. I didn't notice if he was good or not. Anyway, I want to ask you, let's talk about some of these fun jobs that, that you have had. I understand you also did some acting. You were a child actor. We didn't mention that in the open, but you were a child actor also. Oh, perhaps you have seen my series of <laughs> anti-smoking films for the Houston uh, Independent School District. I have not. You know, uh, here, Billy, smoke a, smoke this cigarette and you'll be cool like me, you know. Uh, did, did you do speech tournaments? I did a lot of speech tournaments. I did. I was the, like, uh, extemporaneous guy. Oh, no. I Duet acting. I was. Oh, me too. I did duet acting and extemporaneous, yeah. I was the best 14-year-old Walter Mathau with Neil Simon's Plaza Suite that you've ever seen. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, come on, Mimsy, time to get out of the bathroom and get married. Wow. I What did we do? We did stuff like Waiting for Godot. Really? You know? Yeah. That's I mean, pretty it, impressive for I don't her. think I understood it at all. You know, I mean, <laughs> Well, as an adult, you can't really understand. That's true. You know, that's true. Yeah. I mean, there's lines like, we should hang ourselves, should we? Uh, it'll give us an erection. <laughs> you know, that's like stuff that happens in Waiting for Godot, I guess, while you're waiting forever for uh, this guy Godot to show up. So were, were you also like in plays in high school? Yeah, I was uh, like a 16-year-old Heinrich von Helsing in Dracula. Oh. You know, did, 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 you know, did a lot of the... I, I was, uh, oh, the bald soprano. Uh, it wasn't even a character that's written in the play. There's a clock that makes a lot of noise in the play. So I just played the clock. I just, all I did was like bong 13 times. Nice. Or six times. You know, it's not really written as a character, I don't yeah. believe. But. Speaking of bonging 13 times, do you think Willie Nelson bongs more <laughs> or less than 13 oh, times? That's a nice callback. I yeah, think. thank you. <laughs> 
Well, one thing that you and I have uh, kind of talked about is you've just done so many things. I when you know when sometimes with people they'll say like, oh, I saw you uh, like my friend Ray. Mm-hmm. Says, oh yeah, yeah. Dog Davis seems so interesting, and I say, yeah, dog kind of reminds me of like the real life Kramer, but with like more skills. I have Forrest Gumped my way into a lot of social situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are some examples? Of, like, what's some of your favorite ones? I was an extra in all the nudie bar scenes of Showgirls. <laughs> okay, was that in L.A.? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, the the exteriors were all shot in Vegas. Okay. But they came to L.A. and at that time, I, I was I was living off of game show winnings that year. So yeah, there's a lot of things that are connected here. But I was living off of game show winnings. Uh, I had written a script that had got an option and it fell through. And so I was looking for something to do. So I started working as a, a movie extra. And yeah. I did uh, The American President where I there's a scene where Richard Dreyfus announces his candidacy and they shaved my sideburns because they, uh-huh. they said that uh, uh, New Hampshire Republicans don't have sideburns. Okay. So uh, I didn't know they went to that much detail in uh, right. doing that. But but for Showgirls, it was already running late. And they, they, I had a choice that week. I could either have gone to the Paramount lot where they were doing reshoots of Waterworld, that Kevin Costner yeah. uh, fiasco. They were shooting it in their big water tank, but I would have been outside covered in mud as an extra. They mm-hmm. would have paid a lot extra. but Or go across the street to uh, Raleigh Studios where they had built a strip club and look at naked women for a week. I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, you you got to go see if there's real dry land in well, the Waterworld yeah. set. Is that the one you picked? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is, is you know, because I'm doing it kind of as a lark. Yeah. And the serious extras, you know, they're like, oh, there's a smoke effect here. We should get a bump in pay. Oh, they were late serving us lunch. We should get a bump in pay. And I'm like, you know, we're looking at naked women for yeah. 12 hours a day for a week. Yeah. And Just they're like, oh, down. 12 hours? That's a lot of strain on my eyes, right, bump right, and pay. Right. right. Yeah. And, and, and I, I completely understand if, if I were a full-time extra, I would be the same way. But right. for me, I was just goofing off and getting to look at naked chicks. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me ask you this. When you're doing, did you know it was Showgirls? Was it, was well, it a... you had no, I mean, you know, when you hear the description on the, the yeah. phone line, it just said, uh, you have to be comfortable uh, watching nudity. Okay. And I was like, Okay. That's yeah. We had no idea what was going I mean, right. it was Paul Verhoeven, and, and I had worked yeah. on the first RoboCop movie. Okay. So uh, he directed that. So I knew who the director was. And, uh, you know, I, the, the woman from Saved by the Bell was going to be starring. Uh, Elizabeth Berkeley. Right. And uh, so that's all you needed to know. Yeah. And, and, and so I showed up, and I got to – you can see me in the film a couple of times. A friend of mine who's a film critic, uh, he said he was so bored watching the film, he spotted me in the crowd. That's <laughs> – Oh, that's funny. In the nude scene. In the nude scene. Wow. Yeah, he was, he was not uh, impressed. But uh, but yeah, you can you can spot me if you know where to look. Now, when you're when you're doing that, I don't know if you ever have the 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 thoughts when you're like doing extra work or whatever you're doing uh-huh. to think like this seems like it's it might be good or this seems like it might be really bad or do you not judge it at all? When I was working on RoboCop, I was Xeroxing a copies of the script. I remember, and I was looking at the, the script, and it's like, the bad guy says, sayonara, RoboCop. And I'm thinking, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever read. <laughs> you know, and you just don't know. I mean, to, Ver, to Verhoeven's credit, you know, uh, under a lesser director, it probably would have been a yeah. shitty movie. But, but uh, he made it brilliant. I mean, I think that sayonara, RoboCop, 
is a line where it definitely just depends on who's delivering it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Kirkwood Smith, I think, is, oh, delivers the line. Oh, well, he's a great actor. He, he tur- well, at the time, yeah. who, knew, who, who knew who he was, you know? Yeah, but, sure. right. I mean, I always remember him from uh, that 70s that show. That 70s show, sure. Get out of here, dumbass, yeah. you know, or whatever he says about the kids. Yeah, uh, well, that's interesting. Kurtwood Smith, he's had an interesting career. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to work at this Borders in Glendale, and he used to come in and buy. I remember he would come in and get vid- shooter video games, like uh, Call of Duty type games. That was the kind really? of stuff that he liked to play. Yeah. So interesting. I we would not necessarily think that when mm-hmm. you see Kurtwood Smith, but I guess you can't ever know what kind of games someone's going to play. We had talked also about how you can kind of succeed or keep yourself afloat without being, like, overly ambitious, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have been a union laborer for the past 26 years. Mm-hmm. That's the, the day job. It's allowed me to be a journalist. It's allowed me to do other weird things. But, you know, the, the main job is I, I work at a movie studio as a union laborer, and I'll go to parties and... People say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a union laborer at a movie studio. And they say, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I say, well, then I didn't explain it properly. <laughs> uh, because it is absolutely, it's backbreaking work. But I think what's nice about it is that yeah. when I was in film school, you know, studying to be a writer, I mean, I think we all had the dream that we would come out to Hollywood and some movie studio would pay us a million dollars for our work. Well, that happened. It just didn't happen as a writer or a director or an actor or a cinematographer or a intimacy coordinator, right. or whatever it is. And, you know, I was I was doing backbreaking work, and the million dollars was spaced out over like a twenty plus year period. <laughs> but I succeeded. God damn it! You got paid your million dollars. I did. I got the million dollars. Now let me ask you this: union laborer. It sounds it sounds very generic. What does that entail? I've worked in three different departments at this one particular studio. I worked in a stock room. I worked for the paint department. I'm usually just, I'm. there's usually another union that makes more money and has more skills and talent, and I clean up after them. <laughs> wow. Uh, currently, I'm working in a wood molding department, and there's some really good prop makers who uh, make this beautiful wood molding. I store it in long bins, and I pull it out, and I wrap it in plastic, and I throw it onto a truck for eight to ten hours a day. Really, it's like working at a Home Depot, except when I go to the commissary, I might see Jane Lynch. So, yeah, you know, it's, right. it's got some advantage. And, and I mean, the the it's a union pay, and it's got a really good, uh, you know, medical and dental, and uh, the retirement plan's good. So. As long as I can keep doing that by the day, as, as long as my body holds out for another three and a half years, right? Uh, I'll be able to retire, then you know, move on to something else. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, once you do retire, if you decide to retire, your 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 mustache is fantastic. Thank you very much. And I, I would I would see people casting you. I mean, look, you've got a great personality. You're a fun guy to hang out with. But the mustache itself, I would cast you just for the mustache. Well, elderly character actor has a good charm to it because I'm already elderly. I'm already a character. And uh, I've had some acting experience. Though, when I was a kid, I remember Burt Mustin. Do you know who Burt Mustin was? No. Burt Mustin was an actor who got his first acting gig at age 67. He was a retired auto salesman. Ah. worked on a movie at age 67 when he was in his 70s. He got a job as uh, Gus the Fireman on Leave it to Beaver. But he had a 25-year acting career from 67 to 92. Wow. He he was in the 60s. He did uh, the Andy Griffith show and 
Laugh-In and the Monkees. He was like an 80-year-old Tarzan on the Monkees. He, uh, he has like 190-some-odd credits on IMDb. Uh, but he went all the way through uh, All in the Family and Mary Tyler Moore, you know, until he, he died at, at 92. So it's like, wow. you know, that's something to, you know, for someone like me who's been kind of ambitious, like, oh, well, maybe I could start that. I mean, I'm only planning to live to 82. Right. I, I, I want to die at uh, 30,000 days, which is 82 years and seven weeks, give or okay. take a leap day. Well, look, are you... <laughs> What if you're getting close and you're just in perfect health? Yeah, I mean, well, you, gonna... you know that that. Well, I think the day I turn thirty thousand is the day I start the really heavy drinking. Okay, I think that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean it, it'll be twenty forty four. That's a, a presidential election year, so I'll yeah. probably want to stay to, at least to vote. Mm-hmm. But I don't. In my family, I mean, once you get to like eighty five, everyone kind of loses it mentally. So I, I definitely want to be out by then. Would there be any positives for you just in your thought process in dying before the election, knowing that someone might steal your identity and vote for you <laughs> as a dead person? What do you think about that? I mean, that's... Oh, uh, yeah. My, my my mother passed away uh, during the 2012 election. And yeah. uh, I saw that she had left her uh, ballot at home, you know, that she, she did not vote in it. And uh, as it turns out, uh, I believe Obama won Harris County by only two votes. And, and had my mother voted, he would have only won by one vote. So. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Before we go any further, we had breakfast at The Griddle, which is now on the site of Yamashiro, which is a very fancy Japanese place. The Griddle used to be on Sunset. You were the one who told me that The Griddle had moved to the Yamashiro site. I mean, how did this happen? Do you know? Well, the full name of our, our Brentfest, uh, the, 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 they're now calling it the Griddle Skyline Experience at Yamashiro. And originally, it was only going to be from February through July of this year, but now they're saying it is indefinite. But like I say, the, the Griddle used to be, it's next to the, the Director's Guild there on, uh-huh. those, on Sunset, and it was a tiny place, and it had very few outdoor seats. So during the shutdown, during the pandemic, right. they could never open. But Yamashiro has a, you know, a huge patio. And then Outdoor the, someone, seating. Someone came you know, up to the idea that Yamashiro is only open for dinner and the griddle is only open for breakfast so they can share a kitchen. Yeah. So, and, and Yamashiro, have you been there? Have you ever eaten at Yamashiro? I've been there once. Everyone has gone there once. I have only yeah, been there once. It was for, I believe, Tressa, like people she worked with, it was kind of a holiday-type situation. What I found interesting was Yamashiro, the building itself, looks like one of those like feudal Japan buildings, right? It's very fancy-looking. Right. And the main seating area that's inside is around a courtyard that is still there's no roof on it so it's outside there's plants in the middle of the courtyard and it right. was raining that night which you know in LA doesn't it only rains a couple months out of the year unless you're really really lucky so the only time i went there we were sitting at that outside of the courtyard and it was raining the entire time so it was kind of like really cold at night Yamashiro. <laughs> but yeah how about you have you been there much i, I went there once about 5 years ago cuz there was a rumor that they were going to close turns out that they just sold it to a different company uh, and, and it, it's still open. Sold it to a smarter guy who now has two businesses out of there. You know? Right. <laughs> but uh, I I went and I sat at the bar and I ordered a, a wonderful, it was like a steak served on a pink Himalayan salt brick or something and sat next to some guy who just yammered on and on about how much he liked Elon Musk. Oh, wow. And it's 
super expensive. That was yeah. that was the other thing you think about. And so that's the great thing about having the griddle there is that if you go at night, you're going to be paying a hundred bucks a person. Yeah. But when we go to the griddle, most of those meals were sixteen ninety five or less. Yeah. Even. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and got to stress how beautiful the place is. You. Oh, absolutely. Look, I would say what what I love about it is Yamashiro is beautiful. It's like there's all these terraces and outdoor mm. seating, and it's the very like old school like Japanese architecture. Mm. It was built in 1914 for a couple of brothers who had uh, purchased a lot of Asian artifacts that had okay. brought them to the United States. So, so gotcha. it was built as a, like a personal museum. I mean, one of the things that they still have on the grounds yeah. is a 600-year-old pagoda, yeah. which is the oldest structure in Los Angeles. Is that where the Buddha is? Yeah. No, no the Buddha that okay. we saw, that, that, that's kind of outside. But, okay. but, but, but the pagoda, a, a lot of people think that you know, a, a 1600 or, you know, from the 1400s, uh, uh, this religious artifact probably should not be outside of Japan, that right. it, it probably shouldn't be located next to the outdoor bar and the swimming pool right. of a Hollywood Hilltop restaurant. But but this thing started out as a museum and then uh, with several other things. During World War II, they had to disguise it because uh, angry patriotic oh, Americans boy. wanted to burn it down, of course. And uh, then it opened up as a hotel. They, they made little rooms out of the hotel. Richard Pryor was a guest. Oh. Or not a hotel, an apartment complex. Okay, it was an gotcha. Apartment. But it's been a restaurant since the 1960s. And uh, you've seen it in uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, mm-hmm. Kill Bill. Yeah. You know, it's been in a lot of movies because it's just, like I say, gorgeous. But it's got such a great view when you're looking yeah. out. And you can see downtown on a, on a clear day. And you can see all of Hollywood. It's just so good to go to that restaurant yeah. and have a nice outdoor meal yep. uh, for breakfast. I will say what I love about it is, for context, just if you've been to Hollywood or even if you haven't, it's kind of above the Magic Castle right. and it's kind of below the observatory, right? right? It's, so it, it, they, I think they say it's 250 feet above Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. So you've got the view of Hollywood and all the way to downtown all the way to kind of Santa Monica, Century City. You know, mm-hmm. you see all those views. You're having like an old school griddle breakfast. And we'll talk about our food in a second. Uh, and then you're also getting to hang out of this really historical building that's just beautiful. So it's almost like three things at once. You get the view, you get the architecture, and you get the food. And it's not the $100 Yamashiro. Not that it's not good food at Yamashiro. I'm, we're just saying practicality. Yeah. It's, it's for, for a moderate budgeted person yeah. like ourselves, and, this is a better deal. And you had told me the hack there is they open at 8. They're open Wednesday through Sunday. They open at 8 a.m. You have to get there right at 8 a.m. They used to say that they had no reservations on weekends. So yeah. Apparently that has changed. Yep. You, you might be able to get a reservation. But I would say that the, I have a two hacks for the griddle. One is parking. The only way you can go to Yamashiro is they have a valet parking, and yep. it's $10. Yeah. If you're going there at night and you're spending a hundred bucks a person, you know, ten dollars seems like nothing. But if right. you're going there having a seventeen dollar breakfast, ten dollars seems a little pricey. Right. So, so my hack there, I, I will sometimes say that I may never have the best job. I may never be lucky in love, but I can usually find convenient free parking. <laughs> Go on a Sunday and park on Hollywood Boulevard. It's free till 11 o'clock. And then just walk up the hill. It works up your appetite. And you don't have to pay for for the parking. And we parked on the other side on Sycamore, I think, which was still the same thing. You walk about a quarter to a third of a mile to get to the place. You get some steps in. And you don't have to pay the $10. Yeah, but, you know, if you want to pay the $10, I guess you can. And my other hack, something that your lovely wife that I got to meet used, was 
the pancakes are huge there. There's like three to a stack, right. and you're never going to eat all of them. Mm-mm. Uh, and no one, if you take it home in a box, you're not going to eat an old pancake. Yeah, no, and l- no. unless you're using it as an Instagram photo and you want just a bodacious giant stack of pancakes, there's no need to have all three of them, probably, unless you have three people, maybe. Right. So so you can always tell them that you just want two pancakes or maybe even a single pancake, and mm-hmm. they'll cut like $2 off the bill. Nothing yeah. but The only exception to that is their red velvet pancake, which is every bit as good as it sounds. Yeah. But that's only one to an order. Gotcha. Well, like we said, it's beautiful to look at. Let's talk about our food that we had. I know Tressa had the uh, banana nana single pancake. They they have the, the powdered sugar on top. It's overflowing. It's larger than the plate, right? Even, they, uh, but this one, the banana nana has brown sugar baked bananas cooked inside of the buttermilk batter. That was really good. Yeah, I, and I was uh, glad she let me have a, a couple of bites of it because I've lost uh, 50 pounds yeah. on a low-carbohydrate diet, so I yeah. don't get to eat a lot of stuff. I mean, mostly I eat meat, cheese, eggs, boogers. <laughs> so I, you and I but are having the, just like one, one bite was nice. You, you and I are on the same trajectory, so that's nice. I mean, I, I think I'm down like 40 pounds, but it's good, and we, I'm doing it a lot through walking and the, you know lowering all the things that you can do. I had the Some Like It Hot. I, I love that movie so much. I just had to get, I almost just didn't even look what it was. It's like Some Like It Hot Scramble. Okay, I'm getting that. That's such a great movie. Scrambled eggs, chicken tequila sausage, jack cheese, uh, ranchero sauce, I think pico de gallo, avocado. There was some kind of spicy chipotle, bunch of homemade tortilla chips, which were delicious. I really enjoyed it. It was it was kind of an inter- different for me. I don't usually get like a chilaquiles type breakfast where you're using a lot of chips, but I did in this case and it was it was good. Mine was Slash's World on Fire Scramble, named for Slash of Guns and Roses. Yeah. He, had, he had a solo album a couple of years ago called World on Fire, and this is the memorial food, the you know, the, the, right. the tribute food. It egg whites, chicken chorizo, scrambled with caramelized red onion, grilled jalapeno, jack cheese topped with avocado, and a tapatio aioli with a side of garlic French roll. So how was that for you? Oh, delicious. Yeah. It's delicious. I've gotten that one before. There's another one they have called Sunset People I like. But yeah, they, they they do the egg dishes good. They're just known for their pancakes, yeah. probably more. Well, I love this. Thank you for going there with me. Thank you for letting oh, and, me know that was there. And the French press coffee. We should oh, we yes. should let it go. Delicious. The, the yeah. French press coffee is just worth it. Yep, it was great. It was great coffee. I recommend it as like a Hollywood morning. You know, you're getting a Hollywood old school diner type breakfast. Great view right. of Hollywood and uh, great architecture and history, right? All in one. Right. It's almost like the best thing you could do on a Sunday morning right, right. now to Walk me. Walk down to the Chinese theater and, you yep. know, take photographs with the, the crazy people. You walk down to the Chinese theater. If you turn to the right, if you turn to the left, you walk down to the, the Pantages where Hamilton is playing right now, you uh, know? Yeah. Maybe is it back now? It's back. Yeah, it's been uh, back. It's playing until, I think it's playing for like an entire year almost or something yeah, like that. So. I, I can't wait to do the old elderly white person version you know, <laughs> from, from Texas. <laughs> Now there's a bastard, orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar. The $10 founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being a self-starter. Look, we're Hamilton fans together. Yeah, I'm impressed by both of us. We, yeah. we, we probably shouldn't go too much or we have to pay royalties. Yeah. But um, at least we weren't in tune, so I think we can... Yeah, I, I don't think the tune will match up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they could say it was just simply a parody and we don't have to pay the That's rights. That's right. Well, Dog Davis, thank you for going to uh, the Griddle Cafe at Yamashiro. 
I recommend that highly to anyone. And look at up all these pictures and videos we're going to put up. You're going to see how awesome it looks. I do want to mention this really quick. You had got to play, I think, a minute and 42 seconds of a semi-pro basketball game, correct? Yes. Coached by Nate Tiny Archibald, who's to me is like when I was a kid was – he was that short, really fast, good basketball player. And there's been several, like, you know, Muggsy Bogues, Spud Webb, yeah. uh, <laughs> Teron Liu are all like that, you know. Yeah, he was tiny, Archibald. He was six foot one. He just looked tiny compared so was, to the other players. Well, he's bigger than some of the, like, yeah. okay. So, but they still called him tiny. How how did this happen? And uh, how what was the experience like playing in a semi-pro basketball game? I've written a few stories for the LA Times and for the LA Weekly. I had a, like a three or four year journalism career. And I had written a story about the Long Beach Jam because uh, Dennis Rodman was trying to make a comeback into the NBA. So he was playing for the Long Beach Jam, trying to, to get back into the NBA. And the Jam's management must have liked the story. They said, let's invite this writer to sit on the bench, you know, put him in uniform. And I got to warm up with the team. And I mean, you had uh, people like Olden Polonese, who, yeah. who is, had been in the Lakers. You had some up and coming people who wanted to get in the NBA. You also had rapper Master P. Oh, he's a pretty good player, right? Well, he, he was good at jacking up a three-point <laughs> shot from beyond the line. He wasn't a great defense player, yeah. but, but his big uh, advantage was that he was rich and he owned a clothing company. So the Long Beach Jam had the best-looking uniforms than the, the ABA. That they, I got to play <laughs> on the bench. I got to sit on the bench. And at the end of the game, it was a blowout. The Jam was ahead by 20-some-odd points, and there was like a minute and 40 seconds left. So Tiny Archibald says, well, let's put the writer guy in. And I'm like, really? And so I, I go up to the check-in bench. I take my glasses off and leave them on the oh bench. And, <laughs> and, you know, Archibald just told the other players, just give it to him. Let him shoot as many times as you can. And the other team, the poor other team, they're already getting humiliated. They're yeah. already losing oh, by 20 points. you're on the winning team? I'm on the winning team. <laughs> oh, no. I'm on the winning team, so it's just rubbing salt the wound that they're putting in this, like, 42-year-old bald guy into, like, jack points up. So yeah. they were swatting them away, and they were doing everything. So my, my only claim to basketball fame is that I did foul a guy going up for a layup after he had knocked the ball out of my hand. Oh, wow. So All right. So, I, you know, he got the— You're he in had the to shoot book. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He had to, he had to go— on, <laughs> Shoot the free throws. I'll be honest, if I was on the other team, I would have just been fouling you really hard, too. Oh, though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Before we get out of here, I need to get three quick recommendations from Dog Davis. Okay. What is the hidden gem show or movie that you love that people may not know? This week, using my free week of Paramount Plus before oh. I cancel it. So okay. I've been watching uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. I heard that's great. Since I have worked in the lower decks of the entertainment industry, I, I find it fine. But it's, it's basically Star Trek meets Futurama, and it's, it's good. Nothing and wrong with that. Jonathan Frakes uh, playing a, a comic version of himself. Oh, cool. Uh, it's great. It's great. Nice. Uh, well, what is the show or movie that you watch just for fun? A bunch of friends and I get together on Saturday nights, and we all watch Svengoolie at our homes, but we take photographs of our feet up on the ottoman looking at the television. It's I don't what, know what that is. What's Svengoolie? Svengoolie, he's like Elvira in that he shows all these old horror movies and sci-fi movies, and he's been in Chicago for like 40 years, but for the last three or four years, he's been on MeTV. Ah. And because I'm an old guy, I still watch basic cable. Okay. Last year, my friend Rory, who's a bar owner in Palm Springs, he had nothing to do. He couldn't work. So he just, like, posted a picture of his feet on an ottoman looking at Svengoolie and said, let's see your feet. So now oh my goodness. there's, like, a dozen of us who sit around, and we, if we have nothing to do on a Saturday, which uh, tends to be a lot, 
uh, you know, we'll put our cat in the picture. Maybe if we have a good cocktail, we'll put that in the picture. But we just, we all take these little photographs and then we, you know, uh, text each other on various jokes that we, you know, as, as we're watching the movie. That's great. Uh, what is the show or movie that inspires you? I'm also so old that I still watch PBS. Okay. Uh, there was a three-part series earlier this year, Greta Thunberg, uh, Year to Change the World. Sure. And uh, it's a combination of young climate activists going around the world, showing us these terrible climate events, trying to bring hope, trying to, to speak. But it's also about a 16-year-old autistic girl coming of age and trying to separate from her parents and trying to mature into a woman and I think the the show did a very good job of balancing the the horrific climate crisis with this personal story. All right. Well, thank you for those recommendations. They all sound great. I'm going to check them out. Okay. Thank you. Guys, if you'd like to get more breakfast stuff, such as pics of Dog Davis and I enjoying our breakfast from the Griddle Cafe at Yamashiro, go to my website, brentpope.com. You can listen to all the breakfast episodes there. You can see clips from all my TV appearances and the official breakfast store with a bunch of fun stuff, shirts. Dog Davis wore a breakfast shirt to our breakfast meal. Big ups to Dog Davis for that. That's the first time that's ever happened. Mugs, stickers, masks, perfect for the holiday gifts. It's right around the corner and it's all in there, guys. People of Earth, do yourself a favor by picking up something from the Breakfast Store. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Breakfast. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Breakfast is being enjoyed all over the United States and in 40 other countries. And trust me, my Breakfast Brigade, we are just getting started. Special thanks to my editor, the one and only Rosemary Brown, for all the Breakfast Slicing and Dicing. Much appreciated. Big ups also to my studio engineer, Marco Leon, for making me sound so good. Dog Davis, what is next for you, and where can we find you on social media? I really am not on social media. You can find me uh, wrapping lumber and throwing it onto trucks. This is about it. Nice. <laughs> nice. If you see someone wrapping lumber and throwing it on a truck that has a very, I will say, Wilford Brimley-esque mustache, oh, and yes, I say sir. that in a complimentary way, I... that's probably Dog Davis. Or someone that's recommending really great drinks at uh, old school bars all over L.A. Dog Davis, thank you so much for coming in. This has been just a lot of fun, and I love hanging out with you. I love hearing all your stories. A lot of times I have the most stories. You have a lot more stories than me, and I bow down to you, and I love hearing your stories. Thank you. Onward. <laughs> and with that, we put another Hollywood Man About Town-worthy episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope in the old to-go bag. See ya. See ya.